Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I'll give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Shana Francesca. She is an entrepreneur who was born into a difficult and abusive family. She worked in interior design for 17 years, and she now helps others designing their own personal life. She also recently published a book. So Shana's got a lot going on, and we've been chatting here for a while, so I'm excited to have her on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Shana. Why don't you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit more about yourself? Yeah. So yes. Hi, I'm Shana Francesca. I am founder and CEO of Consonate. Um, it is a company that is focused on intentional leadership and living. Um, and what's interesting is that um, I chose Consonate is a real word. Um, and it means to arrange or blend together skillfully as parts or elements put together in a harmonious, precisely appropriate or elegant manner. And that's exactly what I do. And that is a, I know that that's a result of the way that I grew up, right? So growing up in a difficult and abusive, um, household with very fundamentalist, extreme religious beliefs, there was no part of myself there was no part of the world in which I was able in this physical environment, either at home or in my religious life, because I went to school, I went to church, all at the same buildings. <laughs> so Monday through Friday, I was at school there. Twice on Sunday, I was at church there. Wednesday, I was at, Wednesday nights, I was at church there, sometimes Thursdays as well. I mean, it was like my whole life. It was my, and then inside of the house, I was in this very abusive environment. And so there was no place in which I, I could be myself where I, I felt truly seen, heard and understood, right? Where I could actually take up space authentically in any way, shape or form. I wasn't safe to do that. And so, you know, as a teenager, um, <clears throat> I started experimenting with or like, you know, an adolescent experimenting with my own physical environment in the ways that I could. And so I basically turned an entire wall of my bedroom into a vision board. That's the words we use now. I didn't have those words then. I, I was taking index cards and writing quotes on them and putting them all over the wall. And then back in the day, we had physical calendars with like inspirational quotes and like forest scenes. And I would like tear the pages off and post them up all over my walls and, um, and, and take images out of magazines of, of things that felt like they were connected to who I wanted to be, how I wanted to be able to show up in the world. Um, and and started curating my own physical environment. Every time something really bad would happen, I would like organize something or rearrange my bedroom furniture and kind of reset the stage and kind of create this new association with my physical environment of what, of what I wanted, what I wanted it to be, what, what was possible and, and really in what ways it could better support me. And I could just like change my association with what was. And so, um, as I, as I, moved into, um, in my teenage years, I was very, very interested in how does our, how is our mental health connected to our physical environments? And, um, in what way could I be a part of crafting that and empowering other people through their physical environments? And so I became an interior designer and I did that, um, I did that for 17 years, like you said. Um, but along the way, 
I really started, there became this very deep coaching aspect to my work in which I was approaching projects, whether it was someone's home or their office or a restaurant or whatever it was. And I was saying, you know what, who do you want to be? How do you want to move through this world? If there was no restrictions, there was no budget, what would you want? And what would you want this space to do for you? How would you want it to facilitate and as aspects of your life? How would you want it to be able to show up for you? And then we could sit down and figure out how to make that happen as best as possible within their budget. But along the way, I was learning so much and there was this deep coaching aspect of like how, how empowering someone to show up for themselves and, and figure out what was possible in their life and so on and so forth. And that, that part of the of my work just kind of started taking up more and more space <laughs> to the point that now it is the focus of my work. And I still do, I still take on interior design projects, um, but really only like one or two, sometimes three at a time, whereas I used to do like more than a dozen at a time. <laughs> um, because interior design is a part of designing our lives about being intentional, right? Uh, it's deeply connected to our mental health. Our physical environment is a reflection many ways of, in many ways of how we see ourselves and how we, um, and a way that we practice taking up space in the world. Um, but, uh, you know, my, my work has kind of shifted to be more about intentional leadership and living. And I do, I'm a keynote speaker and uh, facilitate workshops and I'm able to help a lot more people. Whereas as an interior designer, I was only able to like work with, you know, 10, 12, 14 people at a time. Now I'm able to work with dozens and hundreds and thousands, depending on the size of the crowd I'm speaking to or who's attending a workshop. So it's, my work has a much further reach and it feels much more fulfilling. Great. Well, it's obvious to see like kind of where your life has taken you. So why don't we start kind of back in the beginning, growing up? When did you kind of realize like the family life situation you were in was not a good one? And therefore there was like a better life out there for you? I think, well, I knew the, I knew very early on from the time I was like three years old, maybe earlier that my, my life wasn't good. I just didn't know how or in what way it was possible for it to be anything other than it was right. Cause I was a child. Um, but I had in part of me, I had to believe that there was some way that it was going to be better. Like it had to be better. Otherwise I wasn't really sure that I wanted to be, in all honesty, that I wanted to keep living, right? Because that was not living. That was dying and being tortured along the way. And, and so I think when I just kind of made the decision to figure out what was possible was somewhere around the age of 15 because there was a very traumatic event um, that happened uh, or was done to me, perpetrated um, against me. Um and at that moment, I became acutely aware that I was like, you know what, <laughs> all these beliefs that I'm being told I'm supposed to conduct my life according to the people around me who are forcing me to believe and and function in this way aren't functioning in that way in any way, shape or form. Right. And it's I'm acutely aware of it. And at that point, there became a fracture and I started kind of figuring out how do I define who I am for myself in really small ways. And it took me. I mean, indoctrination is a tough thing. <laughs> it took me um, another 10 years before I before I walked away from that, that church environment that I grew up in and um, another six before I walked away from, you know, before I walked away from the church entirely. So, I mean, like churches entirely. 
Um, so yeah, it, it was a long journey. <laughs> and as you said, indoctrination is difficult. So I don't think anyone yeah. would expect it to be, yeah. you know, leave the house at say like age 18 and then never look back. Even That would be right. difficult having all of that yeah. indoctrination. So yeah. how did you kind of take that time to leave the church, to leave the situation you were in and find your own path? It started slowly at first in which I just started to question the way people interpreted, you know, the Bible and specific religious documents. Um, and I started just reading it for myself and seeing how it aligned with my own, like how I interpreted it for myself. Um, and then I just started kind of noticing the pattern of things I couldn't explain. And I would ask lots of questions of religious leaders of like, why is this in here? And what is this supposed to like, and I couldn't get any other than a canned response, right? There was no, um, you know, it was like God's ways are higher than our ways. We'll know someday when we're in heaven. And I'm like, none of that feels good <laughs> to me. <laughs> um, blind obedience just didn't feel good to me because I saw, I saw where that led because I grew up in an abusive environment. Right. So like blind obedience leads to abuse <laughs> almost a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> um, anybody who's demanding blind obedience is definitely uh, aiming at abuse. So, you know, I, I don't know. I think I, I don't, I'm, I mean, I don't know exactly what kind of tipped the scales. I think it was just this slow progress of, I can no longer, and, and self-education was a huge part of it along the way. I, I formed a professional development book club. I started reading lots of text outside of Christian authors and Christian texts, which is all I was really encouraged and not, not only for a long time, I was only allowed to read books written by Christians, music written by Christians. Like I was all indoctrination. So once I started expanding my worldview, it happened slowly at first and then rapidly where I could no longer rectify how I knew the world to be. <laughs> and how I was told it was and how I was being forced to show up in the world. It just, I don't know what eventually tipped the scales. I think it was just a matter of like broader self-education. And so then you had this outlet in interior design originally, you know, on a bedroom wall to then yeah. being this career for you. So what was it like to kind of do interior design and make a profession out of it? I I mean, I love being an interior designer. Um, I don't love doing it as a profession. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I think it's just I've been doing it for so long. I loved it for so long. Um, but there's so, there's so much involved because it's people's homes. You're tearing apart their sense of self, even if that sense of self, they desperately know needs to be torn apart and, <laughs> and changed, but it's, it's deeply, it's it's deeply emotional for people. And I usually, and people think I'm crazy, but I usually recommend to clients if we're doing any major renovation that they like go to therapy, <laughs> especially for couples that they like go to therapy. Um, because there's this thing that happens where especially heterosexual couples, um, I run into this a little bit more, 
um, is that the one one person kind of takes this dominant role and it's usually the man stepping back and like the wife will handle it. Right. But men are more interested in their physical environment than they're taught to be allowed to be. And so like at some point that comes in there and they want their voice to be heard, but there's also this battle inside of them of whether that's too feminine to care about. And like, there's this weird thing that starts to happen where we get so far along in the project and then all of a sudden they now want to have a voice. (laughs) Um, And, 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 but they don't feel like they have a right to be heard or they get defensive because they don't think I'm going to care or they get defensive because they think their partner doesn't care. And so there's like this weird dichotomy that starts to happen. So, I mean, you know, I, I love being an interior designer, but there's just so much involved um, that I'd really rather pick a side, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like be people's coach, um, and, and help them work through these interpersonal things, um, you know, in conjunction with therapy rather than having to do like the renovation and be their coach because it starts to, um, it starts to create this like too much tension, um, that, uh, that isn't always my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course. Yeah. Now, do you find yourself kind of always in interior design mode when you like go somewhere new or see something that may be better designed? Yeah. I mean, my art, my, my eye recognizes beautiful art in any shape or form, rather, whether it be a painting, a sculpture to me, I always looked at interior design as a type of collage art, right? Because I'm taking art created by other people, i.e. furniture, actual paintings, sculptures, and I'm crafting an environment for someone, right? Even textiles, those, you know, there's a designer who's designing the the patterns on those textiles. There's, there's There's a designer who's choosing the fabrics and the finish and the sheen and, and the quality of the fabric and all these, there's all these artists involved with every aspect of something that I am putting, even artists in designing the, the paint colors that are offered from a specific paint manufacturer that we're choosing from, right? There's artists involved in all these steps and I'm taking their work and I'm putting it together in a new context and in new ways. And I, and I absolutely love that. And I love recognizing that in other environments or, you know, other artists work. Um, so, cause I'm an artist at heart. Um, but people always think that I'm judging them when I come to their house. So I find that people like apologize a lot for their home and I'm like, stop that. (laughs) This is your house and you do not have to make any, um, accommodation for my thoughts on your home ever. Right. Like I, there's, I'm, you haven't consented to me having an opinion on your home. So I'm going to, I turn that part of my brain off and sure. Sometimes like I'll, I'll think, you know, they could really move this one thing and they could open up this space so much better. And, and if they give me the right, if they ask, I might tell them that, but also like, I don't work for free. And if I gave free advice to all of the people who like ask me for it, I would never, (laughs) I would never get paid. So, um, you know, I just, I, I usually turn that part of my brain off when I'm, when I'm in other spaces, unless it's like a public space. And so then you've kind of transitioned more towards coaching and people, you know, kind of their own, they're designing your own life. So can you talk us through kind of like what that means and what you're working on with people because it's not therapy? Yeah, it's not therapy. (laughs) Definitely. I'm not a therapist. 
Um, but there are therapeutic aspects to what I do, but I'm not a therapist. Um, the thing is that design is a function of intention, right? When you're, you can create something and not design it. You can build something and it not be designed, right? Because there could be no forethought through to it. You could just go as you go. <laughs> um, the minute that we, that we create an intention that we, and then apply that intention to our action is when we begin designing. Right. And so I think oftentimes we think of design specifically in the context of art or environments, but the more I worked with clients and the more coaching that I was doing with working my interior design clients, I was like, yeah, interior design, it applies to every aspect of our lives <laughs> because it's interior design as in our physical environment and interior design and our personal inner environment, right? They can be designed in much the same way and the same principles apply. Um, and, and so that was, that was that kind of like moment where I realized that that's the way that I was working as an interior designer, but it was much, it was very valuable outside of specifically the interior design context. Um, and I was getting asked to do speaking engagements. I started, um, doing group coaching. Um, and I did that for like two and a half years before I realized, wait a second, <laughs> I have like entrepreneurs and business owners and people from the age of 25 to 55 in this, in these group coaching sessions. And, and they would be a wait list. I was maxing out attendees because I, I keep the number of people allowed to, um, be involved to like 16, um, just so that we're all able to equally share just because of the, the way I have it formatted and everybody shares equally and so on and so forth. And we only have an hour and a half. So like we can only ha have so many voices, um, speaking into that. Um, but there would be a wait list every time. And, and I was like, you know what, this is really powerful. What we're talking about here is really powerful. And I need to allow that to take up more space. And it was like, I needed to give myself permission to be something other than just an interior designer. As I went to school, I have a BS in interior design and there's so much in our society that I guess, you know, especially when I was coming up, it was like, you go to school for something and that's what you do for the rest of your life. Right. Because I have boomer parents, but I was like, that's a bunch of nonsense. And I'm holding myself back for some, they, that I, <laughs> I don't see or know yet. Right. And, um, and it was one of my clients, he's the head of neuroanesthesiology at a very um, well-credited medical institution in Philly. And um, he goes, yeah, I tell everybody you're my interior designer and my life coach. And I was like, oh, so like my clients do see the significant value in my coaching. They do recognize it as a separate thing from my interior design work. And that was the minute I was like, never mind. I'm just going to let this take up space. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be who I really am meant to be and, and pivot in this moment in my life and take up space in that way. And was that moment of pivoting ever like scary or daunting and not knowing how to like switch to primarily interior design to some interior design? Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, part of keeping on interior design clients um, was one, because I love it and I'm an artist at heart. But second is because like I still had bills to pay. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't just like as a, especially as a single entrepreneur, you can't just like abandon your entire revenue source because there's no one else to pay the bills for you. So 
Yeah, there was definitely fear in there that like, you know, were people going to question me? Were people going to be like, how do you, how do you have the right? But here's the interesting thing is I moved my, my business that direction and no one has ever asked me why. Like none of the client, none of the people I've ever worked with, none of the people who've known me, none of the people who come and approach me, they've never, not in a way to be like, well, why would you do that? You know what I mean? Like no one's ever questioned my ability to do it. No one's ever, it was me doing all that (laughs) questioning. Right. And so, um, yeah, it was hard, but ultimately, um, I know I'm exactly where I'm meant to be. I know I'm doing what I'm meant to do because every time I, I, give a talk or do a workshop. I was just on a panel for the Boys and Girls Club of Mercer County the other day. And um, it was girls from the age of 12 to 18 and then women from 18, you know, to like in their 60s. And um, it was nine panelists. And the number of people who came up to me, both young girls and, you know, adult women, Um, there was four girls who came up to me just specifically, and these are 12 and 13 year old girls, right. Coming up to me to be like, thank you for what you said. It was so powerful. And then like adult women as well. I was more impressed with the girls coming up to me and saying like what you, because I mean, have you ever talked to 12 and 13 year old girls? They don't like anyone. (laughs) So the fact that they were like, what you said was really powerful and it really touched me. I was like, nailed it. You know what I mean? And then, and then I'm the only panelist who they have been getting emails. Even even the organizer just told me the other day that they, they got more emails over the last couple of weeks. And she's like, you're the only person anyone said anything about on the panel. Like everyone just keeps being so thankful that you were there. And, and to me, that's like, it's like, that's what I do it for is to change people's lives. And, and I changed it so much that they, they said something about it, which is like, I don't even know what they said. It was just, like, you know, it's just like in those moments you realize you're doing what you're meant to do. And it's just the universe's way of, of, and other, other living beings way of acknowledging, like, keep going. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like what you're doing is important. You're changing people's lives. And so, yeah, it was hard, but ultimately you know, any, anything that's really, truly valuable is hard. Nothing that comes easy is truly all that valuable. Right. Now, would you be willing to share a little bit maybe of like what you shared in that speech or some of the things that kind of land the most impact? Yeah. Um, What I really wanted, what they were asking about um, the ways in which it's difficult being a woman in a man's world. And even though we're fighting hard to shift that, there's still, you know, in many ways, male-dominated patriarchal society. Um, and there was a couple of people who answered from different perspectives that I really appreciated. But what kept coming up for me in that question was, I wanted to say the thing that I wish someone had told me along the way. And the thing that's become so powerful to me is to recognize that I don't owe anybody an explanation of who I am. Not ever. And if someone's trying hard not to know and trying hard to not hear and know and see me for who I am, then I have no obligation to prove them wrong. And I'm going to spend my time, however much time I have on this earth, knowing that time is my most valuable resource 
being in rooms where I am appreciated and valued. And I'm going to put my energy into the people who appreciate and value me the most. And I'm going to limit my interaction and limit the access that people who are um, trying to in any way change me, mold me, tell me I'm not enough, although usually they're taking your ideas at the same time. <laughs> I'm going to limit my interactions with those people um, because I don't owe them my time. I do not owe them my energy, right? And I think that's the thing that was so harmful about many of the ways that I grew up is that I was taught that I constantly needed to prove myself and constantly needed to prove my value and I needed to be chosen, right? Because that's a very strong message that we receive, especially for young women in purity culture within evangelical Christianity, because the whole thing is that you're, you're kind of at this new level of spirituality when a man chooses you and you get married. And a big part of that is proving who you are. So you will be chosen, but you're, you're, you're proving who you are to man after man after man until someone chooses you. Meanwhile, you've never bothered to ask yourself if you would choose him <laughs> like truly. I mean, if he's bringing any value to your life and, and what, what what is he really adding right as opposed to what you're going to forfeit for the rest of your life because you're not allowed to ask that question and so that's the place that i was coming from is you know it's important that we spend time with people who value us and that we know we have nothing to prove and other people's opinions of us like like glennon doyle says other people's opinions of us are none of our business so, of course, you mentioned how, you know, you don't have to prove yourself to others. You don't have to right. define who you are to other people. Yeah. In the work that you've done, has part of that been kind of defining yourself to yourself to figure out this is who I am and this is who I want to be? Mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> no and yes. Um, I think the thing that has proved most valuable for me is to recognize that who I am and my purpose molds and changes as I gain more information about who I am and how I can show up in the world and the ways in which I'm powerful in this world. And that it's, and that it's deeply important that I embrace all aspects of myself, whatever that is, they're ever changing and growing. Right. And at the same time, at the foundation of it, who I define myself as is someone who is deeply curious and committed to being present and living a joyful life. And that doesn't always mean that it's happy because joy and happiness are not the same, right? Buddhism defines joy in this really gorgeous way. And I'm paraphrasing, so please don't hold me to this. Definitely Google it. <laughs> but, but Buddhism defines joy as being present and not wishing this moment to be anything other than what it is. And I think the beauty in that is that we're in that moment removing comparison, right? Because we can't be present and be comparing this moment to what we wish it were or what other people's moments look like. We're instead just letting it be what it is, letting ourselves who, be who we are and knowing that we can, we can use this moment to leverage the next moment, right? Where we can choose to be a more powerful version of ourselves in this moment uh, and, and into the next, right? Just by being present, we can make changes. We can make shifts. If we're always wishing it something else, then we're relinquishing the power we have in this moment because we're not living in this moment. We're living in the next, right? So 
So by being in this moment, we're much more powerful and actually able to facilitate change as opposed to being <laughs> somewhere else in the world. And so there's so much to, um, to just being, to just being present and just being and joyful and giving myself the space and the, and the ability to do that. So when thinking about being in the moment and being joyful, do you think ahead to what your future might look like? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I still am thinking about in what ways I want, I want this moment to lead to the next and, and who I am being who I am as powerfully as I can, right? Like in this moment, um, I'm going to choose to do the thing that most aligns with who I am, right? Not other people's expectations, not what somebody else might want for me or not what I think someone else wants for me or not what I think is the best, what truly feels intuitively connected to what I need to be doing at this moment. Like today I was in the middle of, uh, tweaking an aspect of one of my, um, one of my keynote speeches and, I just, I had, I was like, this is getting like intense and I just need a minute. So I just took the minute and I turned on a song and I had a random dance party, right? Like that's what I needed in that moment. Instead of being like, no, you must finish tweaking this aspect, right? You know, I, I had a, I had a dance moment. <laughs> well, three minute song, three, four minute song. I had three to four minutes where I just danced it out. And then at lunchtime took a nice walk so that I could like clear my head and, and listen to an audio book and, you know, kind of intentionally craft my time where, um, I'm able to prepare myself for the next moment, right? Like not just be like, well, this is what I wish happens next. It's like, who can I be in this moment right now that helps to facilitate who I'm, how can I embody right now who I want to be in the next moment, right? Because I'm already that person. I'm already capable of being that person. If I can imagine it, I'm already capable of being it, right? And so how do I leverage my time right now to be a better version of myself or not a better version, but to be more empowered version of myself in the next moment. And so where did you kind of learn these sort of ideals that you have been able to be so self-aware and want the best and be the most empowered that you can be? A lot of reading. <laughs> I read a lot. I read a lot. I've, like I said, I have a, I have a professional development book club that I've had since I was like 28. So for like 10 years, Ooh, yeah, like a long time, <laughs> maybe since I was 29. Um, I'm, I, yeah, but probably 29. Cause that's when I moved to Philly. Um, uh, and, and I did that so that I could keep myself accountable for reading a, a wide variety of different kinds of books, but also be able to talk about different ideas and how it affected me and changed me and hear how it affects and changes other people. And that level of like checking in with other people and creates a sense of accountability. Um, but yeah, a lot of reading. A lot of reading, a lot of studying leaders, a lot of, because usually what happens is I read a book and then they reference another author, another writer, somebody powerful, a thought leader, and then I go and find their work. And then I dive into that and then I, then it leads me to someone else's work, right? And so it's been this beautiful kind of leapfrogging exercise of, you know, what, um, what can I learn? How can I grow? How can I expand? And how can I learn from a variety of like mentors in my head, right? Because I, 
I haven't, I can't meet, and I, I would love to meet all the people whose books I've read, but some of them are no longer with us. But it, I don't know that it would be possible to ever meet them in real life. But what I do know is that they can be mentors in my heads through the words that they have shared. Um, and they're, and it's deeply powerful. And then I can read them over and over again. Um, so yeah, I, I'm deeply affected by, um, books and also like NPR podcast. Hidden Brain is like my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) And you recently published your own book. I did. Yeah. Do you want to share about that process? What that was like and the topic of the book? Yeah. So it's a romance novel. Did I know or ever aim to write a romance novel? Absolutely not. I did not have a notion to write one. I always, I mean, I'm, I always knew I was going to write a book and I'm still going to write a book about my life and my work and how that came to be. Um, but I was like, (laughs) I had an idea for a book and (laughs) I wrote it. Um, I wrote it, I edited, I wrote it in five weeks. It's, you know, 60,000 words. So that's pretty fast. Um, but then I took probably another three months to edit it, um, because I edited it myself. So I would like read it go through and make edits and then need to give like give like five days in between to give my brain a like fresh cleansing and then read it again. Um, so I've definitely read the book like 25 times. <laughs> um, but the name of the book is called under my skin. My pen name is Maeve Marin. And the only reason why I have a pen name is so that I could keep my business and my romance authorship separate so that like fortune 500 companies are like, so is the romance novel going to be part of your talk? <laughs> um, But the process was really fun. It was deeply therapeutic to be able to create a world and imagine a world and have have the characters be able to move and shift in a way that I wish were real, right? To learn and grow from each other, to support one another, to create a world, right? And there's something deeply therapeutic, something really beautiful about that. Um, not, not in a sense of like having full control, um, but in being able to imagine what could be, um, and what could have been. So did you kind of pull any aspects from your personal life into this book or was it kind of just an idea you had that you sort of had to get out? Yeah, there was definitely, I mean, writers write what you know, (laughs) what we know. So um, there's definitely aspects of my real life in there. As a matter of fact, the two main characters, Arya and Ethan, um, the way that they meet is actually how I met a guy I dated. Um, The story of their love story is not his in mind whatsoever (laughs) because he's not a good person. not a good person (laughs) um he's not a bad person either he's a complicated one i would say people aren't good or bad they're just people um then they choose they are more or less harmful depending on the moment in their life um but but yeah they're meet cute and the story was is a real life aspect of something that happened to me but everything else is completely made up (laughs) and so are you hoping to author more romance books I actually started writing the second novel. I'm 5,000 pages in and then had to push pause because I, um, I'm getting more and more speaking engagements. And so I kind of needed to finish writing my speeches. <laughs> um, I needed to kind of hone those. Cause I, I had, um, uh, when I first started doing speaking agents, I, I had like 
a couple of half hour talks, but I needed like full keynotes, like hour long keynotes. And so, um, I've been spending time developing those hour long keynotes, um, which takes a lot more time than you think, uh, while running a company. So I had to push pause on that, but I'm hoping that since the summer is coming, I don't know when this is going to exactly be aired, but uh, we're in May, the end of May now. So I'm hoping since the summer is here, uh, in the next couple of weeks that I can take a few weeks and kind of progress that second book forward. And will it be a sequel? It is. Yes, it is. And it isn't. It, 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 it is a sequel, but the first book is not a cliffhanger. So I want to <laughs> make sure people understand that you can read the first book and it is standalone. Um, you, there's no requirement that you read the second book. Um, but the second book does incorporate some aspects of the original book and build on it. Yeah. And so then going back to the keynotes and writing those, do you kind of have a couple different speeches that you lean on that you yeah. tweak or mm-hmm. like, so how many are, are there in three. that sort of three? Yeah, there's three. Yeah. So I have my, um, uh, intentional leadership talk. That's my main keynote. And the secondary main keynote is, um, in, uh, mastering intention, uh, designing your life. And that one, um, is kind of still incorporates aspect of leadership, but is more focused on just a holistic whole life approach. And then I have um, cultivating curiosity is the the third, um, the third keynote. So yeah, I have three, three main ones. And do all three of those keynotes and like the aspects of them kind of flow into the business that you run? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, So I have workshops and uh, I have workshops that are created from those keynotes um, that I do regularly through my website. And then I also, so regularly through my website, I do them a uh, 45 minute, like a digital version, but there's an expanded hour and a half version of them that I do within organizations, um, networking groups, um, all of that. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually looking to create a version for teenagers. Um, since the Boys and Girls Club asked me to do that, uh, be on that panel. I was like, you know, it would be great if I could create a teenager version of these workshops and be able to present them to, um, to younger people as well. Um, so I'm going to work on that next. So yeah, there's, there's all these like things that I'm kind of building on, um, and, and funneling to, and then also there's group coaching and one-on-one coaching. That's part of my, part of my business as well for leadership teams or one-on-one with leaders themselves. And is most of your work digital or is some of it in person that it gets you outside of the Philly area? Oh, for sure. I I do speaking engagements wherever people hire me. I'll fly all over the world. Yeah. So what sort of places have you gone to? Um, I'm going to Virginia in October. But as far as speaking engagements, I've only done ones locally. Um, but just starting to push them out to, I have a few friends who are event planners and I'm like, let's get me out of the, let's get me out of the East coast. Let's see where we can go. Um, where, you know, where it's safe for me to travel (laughs) as a single female and this country doing what it's doing right now. I'm kind of cautious about certain States, but, um, you know, see where we can go and not just in the United States, but around the world. Yeah. Definitely. It sounds like you've got some big plans. Yeah. And have you started to write the book that's more about your life? Or is that something that might be a little bit later down the line? I would love to be able to start writing it right now. <laughs> but there's so many things going on. Um, 
that I don't know that I'm going to start it right this second. I think I need to see what happens over the next couple of months because I'm, I have some event planners who are looking to hire me for events and I'm not exactly sure when they're looking for. So I kind of need to see what happens over the next couple of months. Um, and I, I think ideally for me, I like writing, having chunks of time. So, you know, if I don't set aside a chunk of time this summer, then I think I would do it in the winter, like that kind of December, January, February chunk of time where like the world is slow because it's cold. Well, at least here on the East Coast, <laughs> and at least for now, so it's global warming. But um, but to, like have that chunk of time where between Christmas and New Year's where and then like in January and February where I'm like, I'm not leaving the house. It's dark outside <laughs> after four o'clock where I can just go ahead and like take chunks of time and 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 begin writing it and really be able to get to the heart and soul of it. I still have all of my journals from when I was like seven, eight years old um, until in my mid twenties, I journaled like every day. Um, so I still have all of those. And so that's going to be a deeply imp intense emotional process. Um, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take my time with this one <laughs> and make sure I'm not rushing it. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like it would be a lot emotionally, you know, you mentioned, you know, telling your clients to go to therapy. It sounds like therapy mm -hmm. might be a good thing to do alongside oh, yeah, going through yeah. these journals. <laughs> Usually I spend like, like three months, just about every year, if not more in therapy. Like I, I hire a therapist and I'm like, it's time. Let's, let's, let's touch base. Let's do some maintenance here. Let's make sure, especially when there's like difficult moments. So definitely, absolutely. Great. Now, before I start to wrap up, is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners today? Um, no, I have, I have workshops lives that I do every single month. I'm taking the month of August off, but there's my mastering intention workshop and my intentional leadership workshop that I do every single month. So if you're interested, be sure to sign up. Great. I will of course make sure to leave a link for all of that in the description of this episode. At the end of all my episodes, I do ask my guests a random question that doesn't have to do with anything we've talked about. So my question for you is, what was the last movie you saw in theater? In the theater? Mm -hmm. Oh, dear God. Um, <laughs> I hate going to movie theaters because people eat. I'm neurodivergent. I have ADHD. <laughs> So listening to people like chit chat and like eat popcorn is probably the very worst thing in the entire world for me. Um, I really don't know. It's been, it's was probably like years before the pandemic. I have no idea. Can I just tell you the last movie I watched? Go for it. Is that, is that okay. Um, I'm in the middle of watching. <laughs> um, it's the U.S and the holocaust it's a pbs documentary <laughs> that i'm in the middle of watching right now but the last um oh, what movie just came out uh, there was something that just came out on like amazon that i watched this weekend as well so i'm i'm i guys i'm like super boring <laughs> i watch documentaries and docu-series that's pretty much my whole life <laughs> Thank you.
All right, that brings this episode to a close. As I mentioned, I'll be leaving Shayna's website in the description. So if you want to go check out any of her workshops or any of the other things she's got going on, feel free to follow that link in the description. And of course, if you'd like to connect with the podcast, our website is in the description as always. That brings you to all of our past episodes, past resources, past guest links and social media and all of that. It also brings you to our social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you'd like to go and follow those pages, or if you'd like to support the podcast monetarily, there is a link to do that as well. Or if you would like to be a guest on the show, my email is in the description. That is always the best way to reach me. So thank you so much, Shayna, for spending time with me today. And to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time. Bye. Bye.